Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Good morning, church. How are we? All right, great. We'll work on that. Hey, I'm Sean. So good to have you here. I'm the lead pastor here at Trailside. Let me pray for us as we get started. We go with that? Yes. All right, good. Somebody said no, we might have a bigger issue to deal with this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. We thank you for that truth today, Lord. As we examine scripture and as we uh, seek what it means to be generous in our hearts and our lives, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to not uh, give in to the fear and the walls that we built around our hearts, uh, but instead, God, that we would give in to what it is you're calling us to, and that you would make this place a building that exudes power and exudes hope and exudes peace and comfort a place that is safe for the broken um, and a refinery for the saints. And Lord, I, we love you. We thank you. Be with us this morning. Um, and uh, amen. Amen. How are we doing? Okay, great. We're going to continue to work on that. That's all right. Um, hey, we're going to dive in uh, pretty quickly today because I got a lot. But I want to give a quick couple moments to some things I want you to be aware of. Today slash tomorrow, I guess I'll give you a day, is the last day to sign up for our marriage retreat coming up this next weekend. Um, we have 14 couples going, which is awesome. Uh, my goal was like 10, so really excited about that. But it's not too late for you to sign up. It's $200. It covers pretty much everything for the entire weekend. You get to stay at a beautiful hotel in Asheville. Uh, we got a couple breakouts that are going to be really fun. Um, I know there's been a rumor that there's one breakout that's for the cool couple, the cool side of the couple, and the uncool side. That's not completely true, but um, there's some fighting going on there. It's okay. No, uh, it's going to be a great time for you and your wife or you and your husband to retreat um, and to get kind of away from everything and focus on you. We believe in strong marriages and families. Uh, we don't want to be just about it, or we don't want to just say it, we want to be about it. And so if you say, well, hey, I've got kids, what am I supposed to do? I have a great answer for you. Because we care, I have uh, commanded Mikey Smith, who's our, our student pastor, who's actually in kids ministry, commanded is a word I want to use. I want a strong authority on this, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, we're having a resolve lock-in. So there's actually going to be a lock-in for everyone 6th grade through 12th grade to come and be a part of while we're on the retreat. It's going all the way till 4 p.m. So you literally can come and take part in that and just schluff your kids off to Mikey. That's why he's here. So it's okay. Um, also, Parents Night Out is this Friday. We already have a record number of kids signed up for that. If you guys want to see a picture of how this church is instilling hope in families and serving this community, you need to know that last three months, we have broken the record every time for how many kids we have signed up and families were able to serve here. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, there's something like 40-something kids signed up already for Parents Night Out. And we haven't even put it on Facebook yet. Um, we do that on Monday. So here we go. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Also, real quickly, um, I want to remind you, softball signups are coming are up. If you want to play softball, we need some folks who play. It'll be fun. So... Um, anyway, we'll move, move past that. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6 today. I apologize. Uh, something happened with through Tithely. Their whole website got messed up, and so there's no sermon notes in the app today. Um, I tried for the last three days, and they just haven't fixed it. I'm really sorry. You'll have to go pen and paper or listen to this later. Uh, but there are no sermon notes in the app today. My apologies. Really, Tithely's apologies. They're from Australia, so we'll blame them. Um, but... 
We're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. I know, it doesn't make sense, so he said it. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 today, uh, verse 17 through 19. And while you get there, I want to tell you, this whole series has been uh, called Better Together, and it's been about how to get you and Christ in the same place so that you can live your best life. So you can be as close to walking with Jesus as you've ever been. And so we've been very purposeful about the things that we've talked about in this series. So instead of normally we'll take a big text, a big section of scripture, and we'll walk through that over a few weeks like we're going to do uh, starting next week in Psalm 23, which is going to be beautiful. It's one of the, just the best, best sections of scripture, I think, in the whole Bible. Um, but we, we wanted to talk about four things very clearly to you because I want the best for you. Like as your pastor, or if it's your first time, your future pastor, because, I mean, you know, hey, um, I'm going to say that until I believe it. Uh, no, I, I want you to live as close to Jesus every day while you are still on this earth as you can. Like, I want you to have a full Christian life. I want you, when people see you and they speak to you and they hear you, that you have those things, that those moments that are seasoned with salt, as Scripture says. That the way you live and the way that you give and care for people and live in community exudes that gospel out of you. And so the last few weeks, well, the first week we talked that we are better together with Scripture because if you're not reading the Bible, if you're not praying, then how can you be in love with the one who wrote it, right? Just like if you're in a relationship and you don't spend any time with your spouse, what happens? Not a trick question. It's okay to answer. Yeah, it goes bad, right? And eventually you're going, what happened to us? You got to spend time. The second week we talked about being in community. Our community group uh, signups launch next week. Next week. Yeah. You need community. You can't do it alone. In fact, I would say every person who's met and lived in brokenness, that's because you've realized you've tried to live alone and it didn't work. You tried to do it on your own. You weren't capable. And last week we talked about in temptation, that you need temptation. You are better when you are in temptation so you can run to Jesus and fight it. And that even when we read in Matthew that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. And why that's important. I know that sounds weird. I wanted to cause friction there with you. And this week, before you throw your walls up, we're going to talk about you are better together in generosity. Right? Does that scare anybody? Generosity? Terms? No? Okay, we've got a lot of people lying right now. That's okay. It's all right. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Marcus, the one honest person. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you are honest. No, but, but radical gen this idea of radical generosity, it's been a hallmark for the Christian faith, right? How many hospitals do you see that are named after Saint someone? Like, we just had a baby five weeks ago, six weeks ago, six weeks ago. Five, good, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm there. Yeah, it's all right. That's St. Francis. You know, there's, there are hundreds and thousands of schools and orphanages that are built in the name of Jesus to bring hope. In fact, there's a place in the Dominican that uh, my last church, we would go every summer, and it was Buen Samaritano, the, the Good Samaritan. This is literally what it was named after because the gospel instills hope in people. And Christians are known and have been known to be radically generous people. What other group of people do you know that says, hey, I'm going to give all this money and all this time. I'm going to take vacation and I'm going to go spend it in Belize and I'm going to build a school for orphans. Like that's not a normative thing in the human culture, right? That's not, we're told, take what we have, enjoy it, 
do everything we want, and then, you know, maybe we'll, I don't know, send some money to the Red Cross when something bad happens. But that's not what the Christian life calls us. It calls us to be radical in our generosity. So we do things like take trips and build hospitals. We do things like say, I'm going to sacrifice everything I am, my whole entire future, to go and live overseas to, to teach people the gospel, to love people well. We actually have two college students in this church right now who are gearing up to go to Alaska and to the West Coast for this summer because they, instead of going, going home where it's comfortable and working and making money, they said, I'm going to go and I'm going to give this time that I have to people to go preach the gospel in places where people don't want to hear it. That, that's, that's radical. That's, that's radical. That's what we should be known to be as Christians, radically generous. And so if it's your first time with us today, congratulations. You actually picked a great week to come because you're going to hear about what we are going to do in this church. Um, we have a new vision statement that I want you to hear so that you can understand what our church is about. Right? There's a difference of mission and vision. Mission is what you accomplish that never changes. Vision is how you get there. It's kind of the vehicle to the mission. Does that make sense? Does that clarify some stuff for people? Here's the vision of our church. We want our church to be a refuge for sinners and a refinery for the saints. That, that is the goal of what we want to do. Our mission to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified. We want to be a refuge for the sinner and a refinery for the saint. To be, get better. Our, our main desire is not to have church just for us so we can be comfortable. It's to have a place where people can come and meet Jesus and have their eternities and lives changed. As I've said it before, if people, if we lock our doors up and the city doesn't miss us, then what are we doing? Right? There's no purpose behind it. We're just kind of existing. And there's enough churches that you can just exist in right now. Right? Anybody hear me on that? Amen? Yeah. And I, I, man, this church is not going to be that ever. We're not going to be that. So here's what I want us to do. Um, I want us to, we're going to read this verse in 1 Timothy, and I want you to struggle a little bit this morning, but I don't want you to build a wall, and I don't want you to silence your hearts. All right, it's going to be tough. We're talking about generosity, and with generosity comes what? Anybody? Giving, and money, and time, and sacrifice. Those aren't things we'd like to hear, but this is in 1 Timothy 6, and 1 Timothy is actually not a letter to the church. It's a letter to a pastor. Paul wrote it to his friend Timothy, who is pastoring the church in a way of leading them well. And this is what he says in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the unnecessary, un uncertainty excuse me, of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Woo! A little tough, right? This is why that verse is tough for us, because we know our bank accounts. Amen, anybody? Yeah. Now, we know what bills are coming, and, and there's maybe a little bit of fear because we don't know what bills are coming. Maybe we have kids or grandkids, and you don't know what life is going to throw. And so this is a little scary for us, if we're being honest, right? Listen, it's okay for Scripture to be a little, a little scary sometimes, to make you a little nerve-wracked. It's acceptable. It's going to happen. It should happen, honestly. 
But here's the first thing we have to understand is that um, it should lead us not into a place of secluding ourselves and building up walls and making sure that we're safe. It should instead lead us to a place where we understand and where you understand and where I understand that what Timothy is instructed here to do is not to say money is bad. It's to say if your hope in money and that being your stability and strength is, then you've, you've kind of missed the boat. You've kind, of, you've kind of missed the boat. Because here's the reality. If you're in this room, right? I'm not going to take a straw poll. Don't worry. If you're in this room and you are able to turn on the water and water comes out, congratulations, you are in the top percent of the world. Crazy, right? If, if you have never had to take water from one source, walk it across the city to another so you can boil it and make food, you are in a better place than 99% of the world. And that's not just a, that's a statistic. That's a real thing. You're in the top 1%. Isn't that crazy to think about? I love, you know, up here in TR, right? Like where we got some mountains and, yeah, pipes burst and you see boil advisory on the news, right? You guys ever seen one of those? And I, every time I thought to myself, God, I'm glad that's not me. I do not want to have to boil water just to drink it. Because number one, I'm too lazy for that. Like, I'm just going to buy a Coke somewhere. Like, well, down the hatch, here we go. Right? I'm, I'm just going to open the ramen noodles and just eat them straight forward and just hope. That's, that's what I'm, I'm not going to boil it. I'm just not going to. But it's such an inconvenience to even think about that. Right? Like, water pressure. Anybody been upset about water pressure in a hotel before? Hey-o, count me in, yeah. How can I wash this luxurious hair with this water pressure? It's unbelievable. It's crazy. But here's the reality. If you're sitting in this room, I need you to be okay with something, a truth today, okay? That is this. You are rich. You're rich. I'm rich. We're all rich. Now, I know you're, some defenses might be coming up. You're like, Sean, you don't know. You don't get the struggle. I promise I do. But, but you're, you are rich. But here's why we talk about this. Because Jesus talked more about money and generosity than he did heaven and hell combined. He did. But when we hear things like, I am rich, I want to talk about why we struggle with that before we fully dive into this moment here, okay? Can we do that? Y'all with me? Not scared? Great. Yes, I said yes, I'm scared. It's all right. No need, no need to be. Yeah, because here's a statistical proven statement. The more in America, the more we have, the more we make, statistically, the less that we give. Isn't that crazy? The, the more we make, the less we give. That's a wild statistic. This is in churches. This is a Barna research statement. The, the more people make as the arrow goes up, the arrow for giving goes down. Isn't that interesting? And I think what happens is because we get to a point where we have confirmed to ourselves that we don't need any, anyone else. And we say, look what I've done. Look what I have. But here's the reality. Um, there's three things that rich people do that I think lead into this. 
The first is this. Rich people don't want to admit they're rich. Amen? Yeah, some of y'all are like, I know, that's why I'm not voting for Bernie. That was a a joke. We can laugh in church, guys, okay? You can smile. Yeah. No, here's, here's the deal. There was a Gallup poll a few years ago where they asked people, how much money would you need to feel like you were rich? All right, the median answer was $150,000. Some of you are like, amen. <laughs> amen, preacher. Yep, amen, right? Some of you guys are like, I'd love to have that. But some of you guys who make that are like, well, I'm not rich. Are you kidding me? I got problems. But here's the reality. What happened was they, they asked a few different demographics to get to that number. So they asked people who make between thirty dollars and $34,000 a year, hey, what, what defines rich? You know what their answer was? is rich. I would be rich if I, my income combined was $75,000. So they asked the next people, hey, they asked people $75,000 to $80,000. Hey, what would be rich? What would make you feel rich? The answer is $250,000. So you've got people who, the $30,000 says that they're rich, who say that, no, we need to get up to $250,000. And then they asked, people who are subscribers of Money Magazine. Anybody subscribe to Money Magazine? Don't raise your hand, it's fine. I don't, personally. It's not, not one that I read every week or a month whenever it comes out. But I would assume that people who subscribe to Money Magazine probably have a good understanding of financials and money and how it all works, right? Listen to this. Here was the answer for the same question for people who subscribe to Money Magazine. Five million dollars. $5 million. I'm like, listen, if I have $5 million, I'm buying a yacht, um, six houses. Just kidding. Couldn't afford a yacht of $5 million. There we go. Somebody got it. Yeah. The, the perception is so off. And, and here's, here's the truth we can gather from that. Nobody is rich, but we all know somebody who is. Right? Because everybody knows somebody in that next, that next block. But the reality is, guys, if you make between forty-four and $48,000, you are the top 1% in the world. In the world. Reason number two people don't want to know they're rich is that they are plagued by discontentment. Here's another truth. The more stuff you have, the more you will want. You know how I know that? Because Charter is still selling 6,000 channels to people. It's true. Like, hey, you know what you need? 16 stars channels. Like, I don't think so. I'm good. What are you going to do with that? My voice got really high for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. The more stuff you have, the more you'll want, because it doesn't satisfy the appetite. In fact, Ecclesiastes 5 says, those who love money will never have enough. Notice, there's a word there. Not those who have money. If you have money, if you are blessed financially, I don't want you to feel bad because that's not what Ecclesiastes says. It says those who love money will never have enough. I know this is true because I have an eight-year-old son who will do anything for a dollar. Literally. He, uh, my sister-in-law was playing a Super Smash Brothers with her, one of her sons and called Colin yesterday and said, I need to know how to set this game up. And he said, sure, I'll tell you. Um, I'll give you a 10-minute lesson for $50. (laughs) 
I'm like, if this works, I'm getting into Super Smash Brothers lessons. It's gonna be my side hustle. But no, think about this. If you don't think you're rich, I'm gonna hit a button for us, okay? Are we having fun? Is this okay? I know talking about money can be weird. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm done with the weird stuff. If you wonder if you're rich, here's my question. Have you ever sat in a line at Verizon or any other store, held your iPhone while you're waiting for another iPhone and text someone on that iPhone to tell them you're getting a new iPhone? Anyone done that? Woof. Yep. Yep. You ri- I ain't tell you, you're rich, sorry. Poor people don't do that. Here's how you know you're rich. If you have a room in your house for your clothing to hang out in, you're rich. Because here's what we do. We get in front of that room, right? Open the door, and what do we say? I've got nothing to wear. (laughs) Guys, that is not a poor people problem. It's not. But listen, don't feel guilt. Like the Lord blessed you and put you in a place in America where that is a normative thing, and we should be thankful and grateful for that. That's an okay thing. Because I've done it too. I've sat in front of my pantry full of stuff and be like, there's nothing to eat here. Nothing. That goes back to the laziness thing, but my mom is giving me crap about that right now, talking trash to me about that right now, sitting here. Thanks, mom. Yeah, but that's the reality. That's a, that's a, uh, a rich person problem. Have a room for our clothes to sit in. That is incredible. Here's the third thing. Rich people live with a false sense of security. I think it's the most important part of, as we get ready to dive into this word from Paul. Here's what happens. We we believe that we can save our way to security. Financial security says, if, if I can just hold enough and keep enough, then, then that'll keep me safe when calamity comes. I can save myself from that. Proverbs 18 says, it says this. It's, it's a really kind of rough verse. It says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine a wall too high to scale. Whew. Listen, can I, let's be clear. This is not Sean's opinion. I'm, I'm literally reading scripture, okay? This is the Bible. So don't get mad at me. This is what it says. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, for they imagine, or they imagine a wall too high to scale. Because we've said, like, hey, I'm going to build up these financial things, and I'm going to feel real secure and safe, and I'll be untouchable. But here's what generosity says. Generosity says, build a longer table, not a higher wall. And this is what the gospel says. Build a longer table, not a higher wall. Right? That's not a political statement. Let's not dive in and get weird on me, okay? I'm literally saying what scripture says, not what politics says. Build a longer table, not a higher wall. He says fools do that. The rich do that. They say, I'm going to build a big wall that will insulate me. But yet, it can't. It won't. It doesn't. So I'm asking a question. All right, this is, this is called the participation phase. Are we ready for this? Y'all in, in on this, everybody? Great. All right, I'm going to ask a question. I want you to think about it and answer it honestly to yourself. How much money would you need to save in order to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? 
Great, you have a number. Now I'm going to answer it for you. More than you currently have. Right? Is anyone like, I'm, I'm there. I'm good. I'm like $13 in my pocket. I'm good. No, it's always more than you have. We always need more than we have. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to do this. I want you to think this way because we're going to fix that today. I want you to not be guilty about what you have. We need to change how we think, but you can't, you can't and shouldn't be guilted into feeling bad about what you have. Right, the back end of that verse, which we'll get to in a minute, it says that you've been given to enjoy. You should enjoy what you've been given, what you've worked for, absolutely. That's not, that's not at all what I'm saying. And listen, we've done a bad job here, as well as the church as a whole, We've done a bad job of guilting people in and saying, if you don't give, then this will happen, and you can't let that happen. And so we've weighed guilt and levied guilt on people instead of understanding what God wants us to do is be generous on the front end, right? Be generous on the front end so that we can see lives change. And so we build walls. But here's the first thing we do. We, we, we're grateful. Listen, I want to ask you another question. How good, how good is it that you live in America, that you have clothes to wear, that you have a car to drive, that you have food at your disposal, that you can leave here and go get lunch anywhere, that you're able to be alive, that you are able to get health care, that the biggest argument we have in our current system and government is just how to love people the right way. And you live in a place where you're going to have a, a place to lay your head with air conditioning and heat food to eat, water that runs. How good is God that he has placed you here? Amen? Like, that's a celebrated thing, y'all. How good is God? I was actually sitting over here while we were worshiping, and we sang a song that I haven't heard since we were back in the middle school days. Woo! Who's actually here for the middle school days? A couple of you guys? Yeah, not, not a lot of us. But I was thinking, how good is God that we are here in a building where we can decorate and put things up and we're not rolling everything over. One day at the middle school, I remember we put our TV over here where it was on the stage and it literally fell. And I had a dad moment where I just reached out and grabbed it. Everyone's like, that's amazing. I was like, I don't know how I did it. I think it was just that in my mind, I knew if that fell, that meant no more TV because we were getting another one. Right? But we should be grateful because gratitude makes us more generous and charitable in heart because we're thankful for what we have. If you don't believe that, find a college student who gets to go home and eat mom's food for like, you know, a good weekend and doesn't have to pay for laundry. Amen, college students? Yeah, I remember that. That was the saddest part of me getting, <laughs> thanks mom. That was the saddest part of me getting kicked out of North Greenville was that I didn't have a chance to do that anymore. So every meal is that way. No, but yeah, our first call is to be grateful. The second one is this, is to say, I will lead with generosity. It's a very biblical thing. Before you spend, give. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Matthew 6. Because here, God doesn't want you to be guilty. Like, you don't need to feel bad about making money and about having jobs, about being blessed. Let's just get, let's get that train way out of the station. All right? I, I, I just don't, that's stupid. God is not mad at you for him blessing you. That, does that make sense? Like, do you hear that? Like a good father gives a gift and be like, well, too bad your mom and I had you. I never would have given you that. 
But that's the that's mentality we have when we talk about God being guilty for giving, right? Like the Lord's given and blessed you and taken care of you. So he's not angry at you and you shouldn't feel guilty about it. But here's what he says. You should be generous. You should be responsible. So verse Timothy, verse 18 and 19, it says, command them to do good, to be rich and be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of what is truly life. Another version says, to establish a firm foundation for the coming age. What does that mean? That doesn't mean tomorrow. It might, for some of us, because you don't know this, it might be your last day, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, you establish a firm foundation for the day coming when Jesus will come back and restore this whole earth. Does that get anybody excited? I'm pumped about that. I'm just, I'm so ready for that. When I was a, a kid growing up, I remember thinking, like, I just wanted to experience the next big thing, and then Jesus could come back, and I'd be okay. Anyone else do that? It's like, I just want to graduate high school and know this isn't it, you know? which was a fight. Um, I mean, I, I just want to get, go to college and live my college years. And like, then, okay, I just want to get married. Like, Lord, if you can just wait, if you can wait until I get married, then you can come back. That's fine. You know, so I, I just want to have kids. And now it's like, well, I want, I want my kids to grow up. But I'm also kind of like, Lord, just come back. It's okay. I'm ready. <laughs> they have a pretty good life. <laughs> right? But, but here's my job as your pastor. It is to prepare you for the day in which you will stand before God and have to answer those questions. Like my job is to walk us through some tough things sometimes. Because it would be easy to ignore this. It would be really easy. But let me read it again because this is scripture. This is not Sean talking. This is what it says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Church, there's a reason that your money and stuff is not satisfactory and we will always want more because it is not truly life. Because we are saving up and investing in the wrong thing. When what Paul tells Timothy to do here is to invest in others. Enjoy what we have and invest and be generous and give and care and serve. To invest in what matters. It's not easy. But that's, that's because our call is to be prepared for the next life, not just this life. Francis Chan, you guys know Francis Chan? Anybody heard him? He has this incredible thing. I'm stealing it right now. So don't think, wow, Sean, you're brilliant, because I'm, I'm not. Um, but he has this thing. He talks about eternity. And he says, if, if this is our life, and he has a much longer one, so pretend that just goes and keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. He said, what we do as a church body, as believers, is we focus on this bit right here, and we forget about all the rest. And so our investment of our money, of our time, of our service in people, and caring for others, and our generosity. We, we think about it right here because this is all we see. But what God is saying is, don't invest just here. Invest in all of this. 
care more about what's behind this little bit than what you care about this little bit, and you will understand and truly grasp life. Like, church, I, I, I don't want you to give so that we can do more stuff and I can, whatever. This is not a statement of generosity towards our church. This is a statement of you understanding that you can truly enjoy all of life and what is more important and not just focus on this little bit. Because that is what you've been told to do. And if we trust and know who Jesus is and accept his promises, this, this is minuscule. Because the rope keeps going. And on and on and on and on. So what Paul tells Timothy, he says, instruct your church to know that this is not the hope that's greater. It's tough because this is what we see, right? And we sing songs that are worshipful and talk about God's greatness and his goodness that no man can pluck us from the hand of Christ. And those are all true things, but they're only true if we understand that when, when, the, when uh, we sing that song that says that there's nothing that can steal us out of God's love, it's not for this, it is for this. And on and on and on. That is why we worship in that song. Like that nothing can pluck you from the hand of God. And it's not just talking about this. It's talking about eternity. Because there's so much more to this life. And the way you love, and the way you serve, and the way you give, and the way you act. We have to think differently. We, we have all of this extra. We live in America. We have freedom to worship and to live and to do whatever we want. We have to think differently. This is why Romans 12 says that you are now a new what? Creation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're a new creature. That's why this is so important. So, so then the question is, what, what, what should we do then? Be that excited about Jesus. That's the first thing. <laughs> Be that excited about Jesus. What should we do? Here's my goal. I want to give you some thoughtful strategy. All right, it's going to be very practical. You just need to hear it out. Let's not make it weird. You good with that? Y'all with me? It's a little warm in here. Are we okay? Are we okay? Yeah. There we go. All right. Sorry, you got to talk a little to me. It's how I feel comfortable. This is about me, so um, no, just kidding. It's not, not at all. Not at all. So here's my goal. I want to suggest to you a giving strategy. I want to suggest to you a, a, a way to be generous and how to do it. So we're going to just, we're just going to rub some friction right here, okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to make it a little uneasy. A giving strategy. I'm not saying that this has to be your strategy. I'm just going to say maybe you should consider it. Because here's what we do when we give. It's not about a dollar amount of how much you give or a time amount of how much you serve. This is not a comparison for you to be a better Christian than you. That's not how this works. Because it starts in the heart. I want to give you a giving strategy with three things. The first thing is this. That I will intentionally share my resources. I'm going to give you three seconds to let your defenses fall. To let statements like, you don't know my life and you don't understand what we go through. I'm going to let all that go away. Okay? Everybody breathe in. We good? Great. I'm not just talking about your money. Woof. How's that for you? See, you thought I was going to be easy. No. I'm not just talking about your money. 
I'm talking about you intentionally sharing your resources of your car, your house, your food, your kitchen table. Listen, I want you to leverage every part of your life for the enjoyment of you and the benefit of others. When you have a big tub of cookie dough, I love cookie dough. I want you... I want you to leverage that and think, how can I love people well? Like, I can make cookies for the neighbors. We, we recently were cookie-dashed. It was pretty awesome. My doorbell rang. My dog freaked out, and there was a box of cookies. It was great. I ate most of them. Um, but how can you leverage your resources? Listen, I, I get it, man. I... I I've been in churches that have talked crazy, crazy trash about people and about their giving hearts and about how it's never enough. And if you don't do this, then the church will fail and falter. And that's fine. And we, we messed up and did that in our earlier days. But that's not what the gospel says. That's not what it wants for you. I'm going to read you something out of 1 Corinthians 16. This is just God's, God's suggestion, God's statement, okay? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Very straightforward. Let me tell you a story about what happened in our church. We went for three straight weeks where I totally forgot to take up an offering. I just did. In fact, I remember like the third time, um, this is back when we were in school, I was like, crud, and I was like, hey, I forgot to take up an offering. There's a box in the back. That was it. Because, I, listen, I don't think that you giving and being generous needs to be something that I need to be aware of or that I can compare to someone else. I don't care about that. Here's what I want. I want you to come here and so hardly fall in love with Jesus that is everything in you that it is a normative thing for you to give and be generous because you love Jesus more than you love anything else here. If you are obligated to give to any church or any place, then that is not a place you should give because that's obligation. That's not true giving. That's not joyful. Like, if we have to play a SPCA commercial for you to feel bad for dogs and then be like, there's dogs here. I have a dog. And that's how we get you to give. We've messed up. There's not obligation. In fact, Paul just says, listen, here's what I do. I take, before I spend, I, I, I give. I put a little part away and I say, all right, this is for God. That's it. It is not obligation. I'm not going to do that here. Like, we take up our offering, but it's not a point where we're going to put it in front and be like, all right, bring it, everyone. In fact, Jesus made fun of people who did that. The Pharisees would come, and they would give down to the grain of what they had to be at 10%. They said, that 10% is God's. That is exactly 10%. You know what Jesus said? That heart's wrong. I can't do anything with that. That's not what I want. I want a cheerful giver. I want you to be more than that. I'd I'd rather train you on doing that as a church than I would be able to say we have $6 million in giving. I I want you to love Jesus so well and so hard that that is a natural thing for you to be generous. That's what I want. I don't care how many dollars you give because it's not about that. We don't seek equal giving in the kingdom. We seek equal sacrifice. We're not going to be slick and try to convince you to give and, you know, have some weird movie that's like, oh, here, feel bad. I'm just going to tell you, love Jesus really well and do what he says. 
I, listen, I don't cheat on my wife because I love my wife. Right? Now, there's other reasons, but that's the core of why I don't, because I love my wife. So I don't seek that love from other places, because I love my wife. And out of that love, I naturally do things for her. That's what I want you to love Jesus that way, that out of that love that we don't give to things that aren't important, that we give and serve and love people because that's what Jesus calls us to do out of our love for him. That's the gospel. And so my encouragement then in intentionally giving your, sharing your resources is to take your next step. Listen, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, I was at my last church at First Presbyterian. I didn't want to give. I was angry. The pastor made like $270,000. And I was struggling every day to pay bills. And I didn't want to give. And I realized it's because I had a heart issue, not with, not with the pastor or the church, but I had a heart issue with me. Because I was loving what that guy represented more than I was loving what Jesus said to do. And so I got sat down, or I sat down with somebody, and he said, listen, you just need to learn to be faithful, so just give a little. Don't, don't get down like the Pharisees and say, here's my 10%, and begrudgingly go, here's the last little dime, go. So just, just try. Just try and see what happens. He said, and then when you realize that you're okay and that God is providing and taking care of you, then you give a little more, give a little more. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just take a step. Just take a step. If you, if you don't give, I don't want you to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to give 20% of my life. Don't do that. That's bad. Please don't do that. Okay? Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Because all that's going to do is make you begrudgingly give to God. And God doesn't need begrudgingly given money. He says give cheerfully. Serve cheerfully with joy. Experience enjoyment. You have been given what you make and what you the opportunities you have so you can enjoy them because God loves you and wants to bless you. Okay, let's get that right out of the way. So if you don't give at all, give some. I was talking to some friends last night and they said, you know what I realize is I, I give and then I kind of don't miss it. That's how it works. Because when you give, you realize the power that money and stuff has over you. What did we talk about earlier? You're never going to have enough. If you love money, you will never have enough. So if you don't give it all, give some. If you give some, or occasionally, give regularly. If you give regularly, then give biblically. Get up to that goal. And then when you give biblically, I want you to take a step and give generously. And then when you give generously, you can learn how to give outrageously. I have a friend who lives on 35% of his income. 35%. And y'all, he, he is in the very first get rich bracket. They live on 35% of their income. You know why? He said, because I want to be able, when people have needs, I want to be able to meet their needs and tell them God loves them. I'm like, can you imagine well, what we could do if we were like that? That'd be crazy. In fact, here's something that we're actually pushing toward as a church because I want to model this. I want to lead this well. Is that we're actually pushing toward establishing a budget that is 80-10-10. So 80% is what we live off of, what we pay for our building, our staff. 
10% we put in savings to get out of the debt that we're currently in, and 10% we want to just give away to things that matter. Like, I'm passionate about Switch. Switch Ministry is um, a ministry that takes women out of sex trafficking and rehabilitates them and gives them hope and gives them the gospel and it changes their lives. And they have pulled hundreds, hundreds of people out of sex trafficking, which if you don't know, Greenville is a major hub for that because we're in between Atlanta and Charlotte. I, I, I want to be able to take 10% of what comes in here that you give through the church, not to the church, and go and fight for people who are caught in sex trafficking. That, that's what we want to do. We want to make a difference. Like, I, I want to be able to have our church be known as a place for hope. So they can say whatever they want about us, about me, or about our church, but it will always be coupled with, but I don't know anyone who is generous like they are. Not so we can hold up a trail side sign. Be like, look how great we are. So we can tell people that God loves them. That, that's what generosity does. Generosity changes people's lives because they realize and hear truth that no matter what they've been doing, that they can know God loves them. We can pull people out of sex trafficking, church. We can rehabilitate families that are broken and people coming out of prison who have no hope. Our, our goal is to get this, this building and the land behind it in our name so we can do some crazy stuff. Can I give you 30 seconds of what we want to do? Is that okay? Here's our crazy goal. And it might not come to fruition. We'll just do it somewhere else. We want to buy this building and the six acres behind it because we want to put a mental counseling center over here. We want to put a sanctuary that's built a little more for sanctuary, make this a dream center so our student ministry can work here so we can offer free office space to 501c3 nonprofits who are trying to make their lives better and the city better. And then we want to actually put a tiny village of homes in the back that we hire somebody to live in the tiny village and rehabilitate people who are broken, hurt, tired, disabled veterans, people who just need someone to believe in them and say, we're going to walk with you through this. That's what we want our church to be. That's a crazy dream. We need $800,000 to do that, to start it, just to get the building and the land. I don't know how we're going to do it, but that's, that's our goal is to be generous because we want to see lives changed. We want to see the gospel come out. And so our goal is to get 80, 10, 10, and then to move to 70, 10, 20. So 70% we live off of as, as a church, 10% we save, 20% we give away to things like tiny homes and wounded veterans who need somebody to believe in them. I got to move. So second thing we'll do that I want you to do, I want you to intentionally share your time. So first, intentionally share your resources. Second, intentionally share your time. We have ways you can do that. Our serve team. You heard our kids get really excited back there, right? We all heard that earlier? Yeah. Great. I'm making sure. I've got some craziness in my ears. Um, yeah. Kids ministry, our, our worship, our production, our community groups, our third Saturday. Listen, we had a team of, Hannah, how many people do we have at third Saturday last year? How many? 15. 15. We had 15 people and we picked up 15 bags of trash along 25 and on the Swamp Rabbit Trail. Imagine what we could do with 30 or 45. If just on the third Saturday of the month, you said, I'll give two hours to come and be a part of that. Like, guys, this is where change happens. This is where we affect the culture and drive it. 
with the gospel. You want your culture to change? I don't, I don't care who gets voted president. I, I just want you to hear that. I do not care because here's why. Because Jesus is king and the gospel still exists and Jesus is not bowing down to a Democrat or a Republican. That doesn't matter. Jesus is king. You want to drive culture and change culture? You don't legislate morality. You show them the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit come in and shift the entire focus and reality of people's futures. That's what you do. I don't care who you vote for. I care that Jesus is king in your life. That's what I care about. I'll leave the who you vote for to the politicians. I will intentionally share my time. Before you can serve, we want you to come to Growth Track. It's next week, next Sunday, directly after church. We want to tell you more of who we are, our story, and find out who you are and see if your story and our story match. Come, sign up. That way I can make sure I have food for you. <laughs> the third is this. I will intentionally share Christ. If there is a, a heaven and a hell and we're not telling people why that matters, then we are missing the boat. We have Easter coming up. Easter is the biggest Sunday in the church life. People will hear the gospel. If you have someone who wants, who needs to hear the gospel and needs hope, invite them at Easter. We're actually making a, a media video that you can share and give to people. And I don't want you to Bible tract it. I don't want you to like throw it on the urinal and be like, oh, I've done my evangelism. Number one, that's gross. If you put a Bible tract on a urinal, there's something wrong and you need to understand that I'm never touching that thing. That's gross. I want you to personally touch people and invite them. We have little cards you're going to get that are just invites and say, come with me, come sit with me. Invite people. We're doing a series this summer that's meant to be purely evangelical. If you love Jesus really well right now, you are going to think that it's not deep enough for you. That's because it's not going to be for you. It's so people will come and hear the gospel. And church, I'm going to charge you with reaching out and getting people here so they can hear it. I'm going to do it too. You can hold me accountable. But it goes back to our new vision that this church, Trailside Church, needs to be a refuge for the sinner and a refinery for the saints. Read one last scripture to you in Matthew 6. This is Jesus speaking, so it's probably important. I thought that would be funnier than it was, but okay. This is what he says. Two verses. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then this really one that hurts. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, I'm eternally grateful to those who helped plant this church, who went ahead of you and gave and served and set up and tore down and prayed and worked hard so that people would meet Jesus. And as to date, we have baptized 22 people and we have seen 16 people 
come to know Christ here. And we got four baptisms on deck. But guys, we can do much more. We can do so much more if we can get behind this vision and understanding of what the gospel is and if we can bring it to life. And it's going to take all of us. The last thing is this, is I will, I will value three things. Number one, stewardship over ownership. None, none of what you have, none of what I have is mine anyways. God owns it all. It's his. He gave it to you. All we're called to do is to steward it and to be his manager. And so here's how you shift that is by valuing stewardship over ownership. That we will give value to the things God values. When you give and serve at this church, you need to know that it is because we are striving to do what it is God values. Because I think God is grieved by the fact that there are people who are stealing young women and throwing them into sex trafficking and producing pornography. I think that really bothers God. I think God is grieved when there's a single mother who is by herself and has no way to pay bills or end up on the street and the people of God can step in where the government can't and we can help her get back on her feet. I, I think that is what God wants. I think that when people who are living within a few miles of this church are hungry and have nothing to eat, and the only time their kids get to eat is at school for free, that we can step in and feed them, and I think that's what God wants. I think people who are getting destroyed by medical debt, who have nothing left and who have people calling them and writing them, who have no hope in paying this debt that they had to get or die, that we can step in and pay that for them and we can tell them it's because God loves them. I think that's what God wants. But church, we cannot do that alone. We have to value stewardship over ownership. Everything we have is God's. that leads into the next one. We have to value people over possessions. Possessions burn people last. There's a great statement. If you don't love people and use money, you'll love money and use people. Let that never be said about us. And the last is this. I will value the eternal over the temporal. The greatest deterrent to radical generosity is that this place, this earth, is our hope. Don't want to hear that. The greatest deterrent to radical generosity is the illusion that this earth is our home. Because the truth is, Jesus is coming back. And so church, my charge to you is this, give. Be generous. If you aren't giving yet, give a little. If you're giving occasionally, give regularly. If you're giving regularly, give biblically. If you're giving biblically, give sacrificially. And if you're giving sacrificially, give outrageously. This place can be a beacon of hope. We can help pull people out of sex trafficking. We can feed the hungry. We can pay medical debt. We can be a place where parents come and they have their kids taken care of. And then we say, hey, go on a date here. We want to buy you dinner. Please go reestablish what it is that first brought you two together. And we can do so much more. But it starts with us.
And that starts with us knowing Jesus really well first. Let me pray, and I'll be quiet. God, we are thankful for you. God, I know there's people who are here who aren't, aren't ready to give because they're, they're not ready for eternity. And if you're here and you're not ready for eternity, I want to give you the opportunity to be prayed for and led. Our pastor is going to be available for you after service. I'll be here. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus' plan for you. God, I know that there are some of us who are Christians, but we've felt far from you. We've felt like you've gone silent. And, and we haven't heard from God in a long time. And so, Lord, I, I want to pray for those folks right now as well, God, that you would speak to them. God, that you would reignite in them this fervor this desire to love and to know you and to be known by you. And God, as we close service, that we would walk out excited about the future of what it is you have for us to remind us that we are yours and that this place can be and will be a place of hope for them in the same way that you were revealing yourself to them, that you will reveal yourself to others as well who are hurt and scared and sad who thought you've left them. So Jesus says, we prepare to give. As we prepare to give of ourselves in this last moment of worship, as we prepare to give on the way out the door financially, as, as we prepare to give in the way we love and serve people, my prayer would be that we would do so with boldness and with trust, that everything we have is yours anyways. That every breath we have is a mercy, that every moment we have is a gift. And so because of that, Lord, we want to give that back to you. And so even right now in this moment of worship, we give that back to you right now. Help us. Help us to love you well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.